Welcome to What She Said. My name is Candace Sampson, and when I first took over What She Said in January 2020, I jokingly asked in the intro, what could possibly go wrong? And then 2020 said, let me show you. My life has been a country song ever since, but then again, so is everyone else's right now. Thankfully, through this podcast, I get to meet the most amazing and inspiring women in Canada and around the globe and share their stories with you. What She Said is here to talk about anything and everything under the sun as interpreted by and through the perspective of women. Because honestly, we've heard what he said for long enough. If you like what you hear, be sure to hit subscribe and share this podcast with a friend. Today's show is coming right up. Raising teenagers, to paraphrase Charles Dickens, is the best of times and the worst of times. It's been this way for time immemorial, but in 2020, we added a plot twist. We have taken teens who are hardwired to be seeking independence and pushing boundaries and locked them in a house, often with parents who are going through their own developmental stage at midlife. And then we've soaked the fuse on this powder keg in fuel that comes in the form of school closures, nonstop social media, cabin fever, and mental health crises. It's a lot, mama. My next guest is a straight shooter who is here to neither coddle the parent or the teen, but with empathy and a clear voice is helping to bridge the gap between parents and teenagers in a time of great crisis. Meet Allie Payne from AllyPayne.com, certified life coach and relationship systems expert and viral TikToker. Bet you didn't see that one coming. Hi, Allie. Thank you for joining me today. Hi, Candace. So good to be here. Thank you. So I guess the first thing I have to ask you, is Payne really your last name or did you <laughs> choose that intentionally uh, for your, for your uh, business? I chose my husband, not the name. The name came with the husband and yes, it is spell it like it feels. It's- well, it's quite, it's quite fitting. <laughs> Uh, for the sort of the conversation we're going to go into today about teenagers and about parenting them and the relationships we have with them. Um, I think pain is sort of an excellent description really for both sides, uh, for teens and parents at this stage. It really is. It is, yeah, growing pains. You know, um, I think parenting is really hard And gosh, if there's any test you ever want to have feel like it's ripping your heart out, be a parent. And, you know, if there's anything that has you feel like your heart is constantly being poked by a million things at one time, be a teenager. So, yes. There's really so much into this stage of it. You know, I have a 15-year-old and a 17-year-old, so I'm I'm in the weeds. Yes, okay. And, and, you know, I'm I'm going through a divorce, which is very painful and high-conflict. So yes. it's not exactly uh, an easy time for any of us. And so no. it's not very often that I find myself, that I, or I shouldn't say find that, that I have the ability to look down over it uh, from an overview because I'm, I'm so, sometimes so deep into it. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. how do you help parents see their way through the weeds? Because sometimes when you're really in it, you can't. 
That is such a great point, you know, and particularly uh, when you're in a place of crisis. The crisis is so all up in your grill that it's really challenging to see anything beyond that. So absolutely perspective is something that I provide. My bent is helping people to go out of the what's happening right now to what might be the root of this. Because otherwise, when we constantly look at the what's happening right now, which is hard enough, we continue to repeat. We stay on the hamster wheel. You know, it doesn't ever change other than momentarily, perhaps. So to help them to understand the root of the problem or the pattern so that they can change and get off the wheel. So definitely perspective, uh, which is such a great point, because let's face it, parenting is emotional. It's super emotional. And when we are emotionally attached or triggered, it's very difficult for us to back ourselves out and have that perspective. Yeah, I think one of the most, you know, um, I, I, I'm just, I went back to school in the fall to start uh, psychology at Queen's wow. and I've been doing wow. it online. And so I'm doing lots of reading. And yes. one of the most profound um, things I came across this year was by Viktor Frankl. And it was about, you know, the space between stimulus and response. Yes. And that's been huge, uh, is trying to live in that space between the stimulus, your team driving you crazy, and your response, uh, mm -hmm. you know, when you want to snap or, you know, not quite understand what they're, what they're saying. Um, mm -hmm. What are some of the suggestions you give parents in dealing with those hurdles of, of teens? Because really, they are just on a completely different uh, playing field when it comes to how their mind's operating. Yeah, they are. Absolutely. Um, that's such a great point because that's actually something that we talk about um, in, a, in a group that I'm running is that response over reaction. And I talk to teens about this as well because I think they take, need to take some ownership. So if I go back to the first point of creating perspective, when I create perspective and I have an understanding of the root of the problem, that, number one, helps me to stay out of reaction and move into response. Because, as you know, reaction comes from the emotional side of the brain, which triggers in the brain up to half a second faster than our intellectual, you know, also evolved selves, which we wish would show up more sometimes, um, to the response. And so when I, what I do, one of the tools instantly is get them to acknowledge the reaction red flag in their body is it they can feel it in their stomach and it's a nanosecond so it's a practice kid to get that what does it feel like when i'm emotionally triggered i feel it in my throat i feel it in my head i feel it instantly that's their cue to take one deep breath just one deep breath and this again i tell this to teens or the second thing is close their eyes and count to three because some of them the visual stimulus is too much they they're going to still go off the deep end so one deep breath or count to three, and it truly is like a muscle. It's not just a one-time thing. The more and more that they do this and they understand that there's a different way other than that knee-jerk emotional reaction, they get better and better and better at creating that space, as you said, between stimulus and response, because we want to respond over react. Right. A knee-jerk reaction generally doesn't have some great results. And it just, and you know, it, it can just spiral out of control. And then, you know, 100%. so once it goes off on that track, it's really hard to rein it back in. It is. I say it's like adding, it's like you may as well throw gasoline on a fire. Right. 
because that's what, because whoever came to me, um, maybe, again, I don't know what they're thinking or feeling. They might be in some form of triggered response and then I trigger on top of it. And it's like this giant pile on of, of inflammatory, uh, hurtful conflict blah that started out from one itty little itty bitty little stimulus that sometimes we don't even we can't even name what that stimulus is that's how fast our brains work so my job is to help people to slow down the process into little segments of time so we can dissect and talk about each one and create a way bigger understanding that keeps us out of reaction right so, so I'd like to talk a little bit right now about sort of, you know, I mean, I think teens probably are mostly the same over the last, you know, 50 years, maybe, uh, you know, but the time we're living in right now is quite unique. It is. It certainly is. And, you know, I say this, uh, you know, I've talked to people before and I've said, I, I, I truly feel for my teenagers mm-hmm. uh, from an evolutionary standpoint, it's almost hard, hardwired in them to be seeking independence, to be looking at those risk-taking things, rebelling a little. Mm -hmm. And then we throw in a worldwide pandemic, we lock them down and say, yeah, can't go anywhere. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So how are you helping teens deal with sort of this reality right now? Well, yeah, that's a, it's a great. So the first thing I would say for any of the parents listening is that the frustration acting out anger confusion they're feeling is real they're not over dramatizing please validate that Um, it's really real for them so one of the things i say is that the definition of rage okay is feeling oppressed or feeling a lack of control over a period of time for a teenager 90 days is a lifetime some of them have got this rage going on and they don't, they don't even know it, but let me tell you, it's coming out. So what I'm getting them to do is I'm using, um, you've probably seen it in your studies, a chart by Dr. Gloria Wilcox and it's the emotion chart. And it is, I'm getting the parents to print it out or for them to print it out so that they can start to point to the chart to make sense of this massive mumble jumble that they've got going on inside of them and put words to that, that's one of the things that our teens are struggling the most with right now is emotional articulation. And they can talk about it. And then whether they write it out or they, you know, some kids are those super expressive kids, they need to write a song about it or a poem or draw a picture or do a play. Just let them do it to get it out and get it off their chest. Um, And Uh, sometimes just journaling it out, but always in the end sharing that with a parent because in any particular stage of emotional difficulty, there's nothing more powerful than being witnessed. And that's what I'm trying to get parents in all of the extra workload on them as well with homeschooling and working from home and all this technology is to give their kids that extra 10 minutes a day if they can to just witness and here, don't fix, don't judge, don't try and change. There's no action required. Help those teens make sense of what they're feeling and know that if they're coming out rather ragey, that, that would be normal right now. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's very, very difficult, very difficult for teens, let alone all the other technology and all this other massive amount of disconnection and then way too much connection on social media and all the rest of it. 
Well, I think you've actually just led me into my segue for my next question is, you had a TikTok video. I did. <laughs> that went viral, which I'm sure yes. you probably didn't expect it to get quite as much attention as it did. But let's break down the, the points you were talking about in that TikTok video. Yeah, so I made the TikTok video with the intention of having it be for parents. That, that Those are the only people on my TikTok account. And then I don't know what happened, but 4,500 teenagers thought it was good. So there was three things that your teens wish you knew. Now, as I said, I'm very, very fortunate to have a number of teens in my circle of influence. And I, and I actually did survey them. And um, so super scientific, wink, wink. Um, and then I made the TikTok video. So point number one was exactly what we just talked about. When your teens are unable to express what they're feeling and they are, you might say, dramatic or in angst or, you know, being um, attention seeking, they're actually really doing the best they can to get across what they can't express. And here's the kicker. It drives them crazy too. So add frustration to everything they're doing, they're feeling, because they don't have the emotional language put behind it. Just validate them. And that, as you said, this is not a time that anybody knew was coming. It's not easy. So that was number one. Number okay. two, uh, number two was something that I am actually drawing a blank on right now, funny <laughs> enough. Uh, yeah, I don't know. So we're going to go to number three. Number three was for daughters. This was really fascinating. This came out of my survey. For daughters. Daughters and dads. Dads, unfortunately, and to all of their credit, were not often raised to be really emotionally articulate. A lot of our dads and dads these days were not given that luxury, and it is a luxury. And so daughters don't often have that um, more emotional connection with their dads. It's more of a disciplinary, authoritarian control kind of space. So what, what daughters are saying is, we're not saying, let us talk back to you. We're saying, please, will you let us be in, in healthy debate with you? Let us, talk, let us debate things about where we stand and why that's good and why that's not. Because when I find my voice in a male audience, I'm far more likely as a daughter to find my voice with other men where I really am going to need a voice so that it's not, um, it's not like a horrible experience that I don't know that I can say no. Right. So it's about being more authoritative than authoritarian uh, right. with your child. And I think that's an interesting point that you mentioned about that father-daughter dynamic. You know, um, men just naturally have those deeper voices, that big yes. physique. Yes. Uh, you know, they can, they can come across as a little more intimidating, I think, um, in that family structure. Mm -hmm. And maybe need to be aware of that, particularly like you said, you know, uh, you and I are the same age. We remember when boys were told they don't cry. They don't show exactly. their emotions. Yes. Um, so a lot of, of men our age are dealing with that as well. Right. And, and, and I want to make sure that people understand that this is not a fault or blame thing. This is a, it's an ongoing cultural issue that we're working to change. So I'm not trying to degrade dads. It's, I believe so many dads really want so desperately to protect their daughters that it often comes across as control and the daughters perhaps mis, mis, misunderstand that or then don't feel safe to approach them about that. Um, 
You know, and actually, I remembered point number two, and it, it comes particularly around dads, but moms as well, too, was that don't fake being perfect. Like selectively remembering your past, what you did and what you didn't do, or only talking about the good things. Like I got straight A's, what's your problem? I never got in trouble, what's your problem? And this is, this is one of the things that these teens came up with and, and told me, and they said, I need to know that my parents struggled. And here's the huge myth. Can we just bust this right now? Just because you're talking about the crappy, stupid things you did when you were a kid does not mean your child is going to run out and do them. No, they're probably going to do their own stupid things. <laughs> oh, 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 guaranteed they will. I mean, if you are going to cheer on a behavior you did and fully condone and say it's so fun, yeah, of course your kid's going to go do it. But if you say, look, oh my gosh, I'm so embarrassed that I did this and I hurt this person or I got put in jail for the night or had to come home drunk or I don't, like whatever, you name it. Your child isn't at least learning that you are real. And in doing so, that was the number one thing that they said builds trust and relatability with them. So they will want to tell you more because they know you're real. And dads, I think, have a harder time with that too. This is what I hear that then moms, but it is important. Yeah. Yeah. So it's interesting because, you know, I was having this conversation with some, a friend the other day, we were talking about, you know, my daughter, her daughter just turned 16. Mine will be 16, my youngest in a couple of months. Right. And as a parent, we're also struggling with some big emotional things too. We're yes. aging. <laughs> we're seeing what happened to my face, right? <laughs> right. Why, why did I have this big crease between my eyes? Um, you know, um, yeah, we're, so we're, you know, we're aging, we're coming to, to terms with that. Some of us are going through middle age. Some of us are actually very hormonal with menopause. Yes. Um, and our daughters are going through their own hormonal changes. Oh, yes. So sometimes it's even just recognizing that you're not exactly, you know, although we may have a bunch of wisdom at this stage, mm -hmm. our life is not exactly all together either uh, at this stage of the game. Yeah. So, and yeah, I love that you said that. It, I think there's a, there's a perception um, that as parents, we, because e egotistically, and, and again, that's not a moral judgment, our egos are tied up in the success of our kids. And so when our kids are doing well, we feel better and, you know, maybe we get more calls to the PTA committee. I don't know. But it's, there's like this judgment or this story that if I say, look, like I'm really challenged. My kids are really having a issue right now and I need some help that somehow I'm a whole hot mess and I don't have it all together. And to your point, I'm sorry, when did we have it all together anyway? Because there's nothing about parenting that's having it all together other than maybe the nanosecond where they're sleeping and they're cute and they're quiet. That's it. The rest you know, of it is all messy challenge. This is such a, I, I'm glad that we're sort of touching on this point right now because I would like to bring it around to sort of where we're at again in this point of time in history and, and, and the school year got thrown off. Yes. And, you know, uh, my, my youngest daughter was struggling with school near the end and the school called and I was a little bit like, oh, you know, like feeling like she's not where she should be. Mm -hmm. And this, the teacher at the school said to me, oh, oh, you are not alone and she's <laughs> not alone. And yes. we are dragging so many kids across the finish line right now. It's not yes. even funny. And mm -hmm. it was, it felt so good to know that because I think that we see Everybody's highlight reel, you know, yes, so on true. social media, the kids see it, we see it, so and true. we forget that there are real struggles happening. 
in between those yes. really pretty pictures we put up. Right, right. And, and you know, that's so true. And again, based on what's going on in the world right now, you know, many parents, um, for, for, for some, there was no real, real change per se, but for many, um, they had to figure out a whole lot of technology and um, be working from home. OPS plus, you're also a full-time homeschool teacher to three kids who have three different Zoom schedules with their teacher and you have one iPad and they're all pulling their hair out whose turn it is. Like, oh, that's bananas. Are you even kidding me? It's so much. And, and until we can start to say, I, you know, I love the bad moms movie. Literally it's my theme movie because I I'm like Mila. I, I'm like, I can't do it all. I'm just going to raise my hand right now and say, I cannot do it all. And I think it's really important for parents to know that again, there is no having it all together. This is never, nobody planned for this. How the heck were we supposed to know this was going to happen? And just going grocery shopping is a, can be a logistical nightmare right now yes. on top of everything else. Um, and, and it is okay to be concerned. It's okay to be worried. It is okay to want to like just sit and have a cry. We're all in this together. So can we just be real about it? And, and you know, the, the Martha Stewart, or I forget the na her name now in the Bad Moms movie, um, but Christina Applegate, uh, who, you know, was the, I got it all together mom until the end of the election when she's sitting crying in her car and admitting she's addicted to a painkiller and her husband embezzled a millions of dollars from a nonprofit. Like there is no perfect. Let's just say it. Yes. And I think that's, you know, we have to give, um, give ourselves some grace and give our children some grace, especially Absolutely. our teenagers. Yes. Um, you know, I can't stress this enough. I just feel like they're under so much pressure right now. And so, yes. you know, if they didn't hit the milestones that you expected them to hit, right. you know, they're still so young. I, I kind of laugh, you know, because as a society, we, 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 we put these milestones or these expectations and markers that they're supposed to hit. The reality is, is, you know, they have many years ahead of them. They will change jobs. They will go back to school. Uh, it's just really doesn't all have to happen by the time they hit a certain age or a grade. Right. And you know, that is a very powerful point because what I'm also hearing from teens is they believe they do. They 100% believe they need to have it fully together. If they don't get good grades, they're not going to a good university. They won't get a good job. They'll be a complete failure. They're going to live under a bridge on an overpass and you'll be disappointed in them for life. And I know that sounds like a snowball that just turned into an avalanche and we're doing a little bit of it like, what? That is literally what teens are thinking. And I'm not certain at this point if it is a, um, a, a function of being so digitally connected and that level of comparison all the time that comes with that, or um, if it's just that they're feeling that the pressure is higher than it, than it was. Because, of course, uh, baby boomers, you know, it was like, well, you go, to, you go to university, you get a job. That's just what you do. And the statistics can back that up. And then for our, for Gen X, Gen Y, we're, kind of, we're called the lied to generation because it was like we were told to go get a degree and we'd get a job. And then we found out quickly that getting a degree got us nothing. Like that was right. just We have the highest per capita of entrepreneurs in Canada than any other country, Gen Xers, because we were all like, nope, we're going to go do it our own way. And I think our teenagers now are looking at, well, if I see my parents hustle because they're self-employed or, you know, the number of hours they work 
which by the, statistically has also increased, uh, as well as now 83% of families being double income just to, because of extra financial support. The dollar doesn't go as far as it used to a generation ago. I think the kids are putting all of this together and don't kid yourself, they are noticing. And they have this incredible level of stress on themselves that, as you said, is not realistic for a 15 or 16-year-old. Like, yeah, just it, worry about having a couple healthy friends Go do a few dumb things, have fun, and we'll be okay. And the rest will fall into place. The rest will fall into place. Yes. We yes. have the benefit, of course, of being on the other side of this, and we know this. However, when you're in it, like, again, you're in the weeds, it's hard to understand that that is, a, that is the reality. You will get past this. this will, things will get better. Um, so how are you dealing with teens when it does come to that social media aspect? Because I feel this is something that is – definitely unlike anything uh, adolescents have ever had to deal with in past generations. I mean, uh, I think, I believe you and I, if you're Gen X, I am, uh, mm -hmm. we were the, we were the last generation to remember life before the internet. Yes. Yes. Um, our children uh, as Gen Zs have no idea what that reality is like. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. what is that doing to their psyches? Well, you know, you made a point previously that I think is the perfect example we're only seeing each other's highlight reels. Okay. So just for a second, imagine a life where our kids again have the screen in front of them. Uh, and especially now in quarantine, when parents were doing their best anyway, their kids had their screen way more, which is absolutely not a judgment at all. It just was survival. So let's call it that. But they had their screens and their connectivity with social media even more, as well as for teens, because that was the only way they could connect with their friends, because they weren't allowed out for a time, you know, and things like that. So put that highlight reel into perspective at a 10-hour-a-day place. All they see is people's highlight reels. That's all they're seeing. You know, we grew up maybe watching the news with our parents, right, which news is nothing but negative, and so, well, if nothing else, it gave us a dose of reality. But also just to that point as well, when we were watching the news, we were primarily getting local news. Yes. Now when we watch the news, we are getting the worst of the worst from every country and angle and perspective, which really makes it feel like uh, it's, brought, it's made the world much smaller. Very true. But I am, I am stressing or having anxiety about something that may be happening in Paris or, you know, Australia. Yes. And yeah. it's not in my backyard, but it's still stressing me, causing me the same amount of anxiety. I wish I could actually cite the study that says that that is one of the most negative impacts on our teenagers with, because of social media, is that they feel the weight is, of the world is on their shoulders because they see everything that's going on in the world that's wrong all of the time and they're aware of it plus add to that they only see their friends highlight reel where their makeup is perfect for the 10 seconds that they weren't crying about their boyfriend cheating on them or whatever and then yeah gee we wonder why they're so stressed and and driven by stress and, and that's that's really sad I think it's really sad yeah, and I think we have to move away from the, you know, I think that our knee-jerk reaction as parents is to say, get off of that, get, you know, yes, it's not going to happen. So the reality is I think the tools need to be put in place to help them um, be media savvy uh, as they consume this content um, and, and 
to be analyzing it and to know that it's not real um, and to just, you know, being able to create those spaces where they walk away. Exactly. And that's why I think it's so important for, again, parents to have safe conversations with their teens on the daily almost uh, for just 10 minutes to say, literally, so what did you see on social media today? What do you wonder about? What, what did you feel yucky about? You know, were you comparing yourself? Did you see someone, a car got bombed somewhere and you want to talk about it so that we can also help them to gain perspective, given that, as you said, the likelihood of them decreasing their hours on social media, unless they just got a job that's 10 hours a day and they can't be on their phone, is very small. So it is up to us as parents to help them gain that perspective and help them talk about what they're consuming uh, so that it doesn't impact them as much. Yeah, I think that's definitely the more valuable way to go is to help them process it rather than cut them off from it. Because it's just, it's like holding your finger in, in, in a dike at this point. We're just knocking yeah. it. We're not going to be able to do it. It's just too big. It's so true. how are you uh, right now then, because in light of obviously our current situation, how are you helping parents and teens connect? Well, so because of this situation, actually, my phone started ringing off the hook on about March 25th uh, with people. That's, that's about right on the timing because we went into right? lockdown on the 14th. So <laughs> no kidding, right? On, on the 20th, I remember it so clearly. I had my friends and then acquaintances calling me in tears. I, I can't do this. I can't. It was either an unsupportive spouse or that was even before homeschooling. That didn't start till the first week of April. And so the calls I was getting and the messages just started ramping up. And I thought, I, I have to do something about this. I can either help every person on an hour phone call or I can help as many people as I can to get through this particular situation, which in many ways is really an amplification of what was already going on. And so I started a private group for parents. Um, I will say for parents, although the videos... Uh, I put weekly videos and then I do weekly live Q&As so that I can be timely and relevant and help parents and teens as much as possible. The videos are appropriate to watch with your teen and I've got tons of free downloads in there and as many tools as possible so that we can not only get through this time, but we can set these families up to have better um, better conversations, more connection, and really increase that trust and respect so they have um, more solid relationships going forward in the future, which unfortunately, we also don't know what the future is going to look like. So this is the best time than any to work on our relationships. Right. Okay. So if people want to find you, then where is the best place for them to connect with you to get in this group um, and really start connecting with their teens? Absolutely. So my website is alipain.com. It's A-L-Y-P-A-I-N.com. Uh, you can also connect with me on Instagram at alipain or TikTok if your teens already found me at alipain. Um, and I have a Facebook page as well, alipain. Um, uh, sorry, alipain straight talk fierce love is my Facebook page. Amazing. Thank you so much. I'd love to have you back another time. Great. Thanks so much, Candice. Really appreciate it. Hey, listeners. I'm Christy. And I'm Melissa. And this is Buried Motives, where we dig deep into the details of some of the most gruesome dirtbag murderers. 
She said she enjoyed hurting things that can't fight back. And that is a disturbing view into the mind of a murderer. Such a dirtbag. Yeah, that's not even strong enough words. This is totally a recipe for disaster and not to justify whatever is going to happen, but you can totally understand and see how this would be in the works. If you were only to look at what she did later on and not know any of that history, she would appear like off the wall crazy. Oh, 100% because we're not even close to getting to the end yet. But you can just see this pattern and all this kind of stuff developing in her, which is what we're here for. We're digging deep. Join us each Thursday as we unearth the dirt bags that live among us and the motives buried there. Hope you join us as we exhume the truth. I'm Connie Teeson, the host of Broadcast Dialogue, the podcast. We focus on Canada and the challenges facing Canadian radio and TV, as well as highlighting those moving the industry forward from podcasting and streaming to new broadcast tech. Check us out at broadcastdialogue.com or your favorite podcast app. Another Sound Off Media Company podcast.